Very excited to dive into 1 Corinthians together. It's a great book. It's a great letter. It's a great graphic. Isn't that cool? I love how the fire goes through the Indians of 1 Corinthians. I love that graphic, but I also love the slogan when church is a dumpster fire. It got me thinking about dumpsters. I don't do that often, but it's our tagline. So here's what I find interesting and fascinating about dumpsters. Do you ever notice, like, all dumpsters have that same unique distinct smell like they all smell the same like whatever that sludge is I was walking through a city alley and there's a bunch of dumpsters it's that same unique smell here's what that's fascinating to me like regardless of what's in the dumpster it smells the same like this one has old avocados pallet wood and fluorescent light bulbs it smells the same as this one full of dog food and old barbecue sauce how's that possible you're not obviously smelling those things I think what you smell is decomposition. That's literally a smell of decay and death. And the things decaying might be a little unique, but it all smells the same. And that's why I think we can still learn from this letter, right? Their ingredients, what makes them a dumpster fire, might be a little different and unique to us, but it's the same smell of sin and decay. And I think we can learn from that. And that's my hope. And here's what I... Here's what I really hope, that two things click for us throughout this morning, but also throughout our time in 1 Corinthians. Because what's amazing is we're going to learn about them, and it truly is a dumpster fire. And I hope as you're reading, wow, this church is messed up, but I hope it clicks for you. Wow, God still loves that dumpster fire. I hope that clicks for you. But then I hope it clicks again as you're looking in the Word at this dumpster fire that God loves that you go from looking in the Word to looking at that dumpster fire in the mirror. I called you a dumpster fire. <laughs> you go, wow, if God can love a mess like them, maybe he can love a mess like me with all my issues. And I really hope that clicks in because that is powerful to understand as we dive through Corinthians. And so where we're diving in this morning... We're in 1 Corinthians, we're in the second chapter, we're going to pick it up in the first verse, we're going to read kind of through nine verses, so you could follow along in your own Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen as I read. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the very beginning, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, and I want you to note, that's kind of the context, he's reminding them of his visit. When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the, of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm going to point out the context you know, of this passage, what's going on. 
See, Paul was with the Corinthian church for a year and a half. He was planning this church, preaching, ministering there for 18 months. He kind of moves on to another town, and then he gets word you know, that this dumpster fire is getting out of control. Dumpster fires are all well and fun until it gets out of control, right? And so now he writes them many letters and visits to help them. In this part of the letter, he reminds them, hey, remember what I was like when I first came to visit you, what I was like those 18 months. And in that, he points out to them what he preached, but then he also talks about how he preached, what kind of preacher he was, what his style was, but then why he preached that way. Talk about his content, his style, but also his reasoning, and that's what I kind of want to unpack. That's what Paul talked about. What did he preach? How? and why, and then see what we can glean from that. So let's dive in of what did Paul preach when he was at Corinth. Very simple, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We sing a song here often, the simple gospel that we've gravitated towards, and there's a purity in that. Paul reminds them of all the things that he taught. What did he teach? Just the simple gospel that we just celebrated in communion. That God loves you. And because of your sin, because of your mess, we are separate from God. There is a distance between us and God that God resolved by sacrificing himself. So that he can experience, that we can experience forgiveness from him by grace through the cross. And that's what he preached. The simple gospel of grace through the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for 18 months. Like, how did that work? Like, how did that look? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So for 18 months, the Apostle Paul is just like, hey, everybody, I'm the Apostle Paul. Jesus Christ, him crucified. Jesus Christ, him crucified. You know, 11 months later, he's like, Jesus Christ... Him crucified, like, we get it. Like, how did he know nothing? What did that mean? I think one commentator kind of helped explain this a little bit. Gordon Fee, he says, to know nothing does not mean that he left all other knowledge aside, but rather that he had the gospel with its crucified Messiah as his singular focus and passion while he was among them. Like, this is the core message that he preached over and over. He preached a simple, set gospel-centered message. I think some people you could criticize, you know, maybe you criticize me. I feel like you preach the same message over and over. That criticism is a wonderful compliment to me. Because that's all Paul preached is one message. And now the implications of the gospel. Remember he said that, like, to some we do impart wisdom, like, yeah, we can grow in wisdom and maybe understanding the implication, but the foundation is the gospel. That's what you need to know. Some people think, oh, I don't know enough. Okay, there's a lot of things we need to learn. That's fine, but you know enough if you understand the gospel that Jesus really loves you. We are apart from him, but he Desperately wanted to have a relationship with you, so he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin. If you know that, you know enough. And that was what Paul preached. 
And we argue you know, about all different things. And you could argue, think of a house, right, of what fountain is out front. It doesn't matter what fountain's out front if you don't have a footer, if you don't have a foundation. And this was what he taught, the simple gospel. You don't need to understand all the Bible, but that is the central message you need to grasp, that he pointed them back to the foundation. So that's what he taught. A simple, clear gospel. But I think it kind of gets progressively more interesting, right? Okay, Paul taught the gospel. Not a surprise. You ever wonder what kind of preacher Paul was? We're looking at the most famous, probably, you know, as far as human pastors, maybe the most influential human pastor in all of the New Testament, all of human history. I wonder what kind of preacher he was. It's fascinating. He talks about how he taught. What was his style? Brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Before he talks about how he preached, he makes clear of how he didn't preach. Pastor Austin was kind of hinting at this. He's very clearly trying to distance himself from the culture and the ways and style of the time. See, at this time, kind of Greco-Roman world, it was big. They would have, they called them sophists. They were kind of like itinerant philosophers with fancy names, like they belong in the movie 300, right? Like Aristocles and Leonidas. These philosophers would come through, and they would impress people with their lofty wisdom that you couldn't even grasp. And they'd gain a following, and they'd gain influence, and they would use that to get rich and famous and all those that supported them to help them get famous. So that was kind of the, the kind of norm at that time, which Paul is saying, I was not like those guys that tried to impress you and build my brand and my platform. And as you hear that, like it probably should ring a bell. Is it that different today? We don't have sophists, but we do have influencers, right? We live in a day where it's all about our platform and our brand and how many pastors are guilty of this, that they want to gain influence by their platform, and then we're going to, oh, we're going to use that for Jesus. That is a scary thing. I was just watching those videos. I don't know if you've seen that one guy. He's the, he goes up to famous people that have, well, not famous people. He goes up to people with super nice cars and says, hey, cool car. What do you do for a living? That dude is a millionaire by that shtick. And it was crazy going up to people, they're getting in a Bugatti, like, hey, nice car, what do you do for a living? What shocked me is how many of, like, the super rich were influencers. You know, he's going up to, like, this 18-year-old dude in a Bugatti, like, what do you do for a living? I make TikTok videos. Like, what? You know, he goes up to this, like, 15-year-old who probably shouldn't even have a license. Like, what do you do? Oh, I make iPhone hack videos on YouTube. He gets in a rocket with Bill Shatner. Like, it's a crazy time big right influencers you want to get followers you want to get a brand Paul's like that's not the shtick he went with I didn't come doing TikTok videos like Jesus Christ him crucified like I wasn't doing that that's not my gig I'm not trying to have you be impressed with me and so I have this brand so I can use it for the kingdom it's like that's not my gig so the great apostle Paul the most influential pastors in all time. He's like, look, I wasn't about that. What was he about? How, what was his style? I came in weakness and fear and much trembling. 
How is that possible? That this dude who was like brought up into the third heaven, whatever that means, crazy miracles that he's done, is insecure about preaching. So Paul saying, look, I wasn't impressive. I didn't kind of have this fancy preaching. I actually came in weakness, humility, and in fear and trembling. So how did Paul preach? Not impressively. Paul literally bored people to death. I'm using the word literally, literally. If you watch Parks and Rec, remember that guy? Literally, right? If you don't believe me, I'm not making this up. He literally bored people to death with his preaching. This is Acts 20. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked longer still. He lulls him to sleep. It goes past that. And then he fell down from the third story window, and he was dead. He bored people to death. Literally. I mean, you imagine being at that service like, dang, I think Eutychus dead. You killed him. I don't know what you're thinking. Look at me. Yeah, that's funny. Your sermons are boring sometimes too. I never killed nobody. <laughs> dang. <laughs> that's funny. I want you to finish this sermon right now. You know it's funny? You think it's like funny how boring I am? I think it's funny watching you guys fall asleep as I preach. That's just a funny thing. You ever like catch somebody in church, you're just fighting it? I remember watching some dude one time, and I wasn't preaching. The only time in the sermon he was awake was during applause. Like, he slept through the whole thing, but the, the claps would wake him up. He just, woo, amen, Lord, hallelujah. Oh, yeah, like, that's funny to me. So, the great apostle Paul was actually seemingly not an impressive speaker. And I want to push it too far, right? Like, I don't think he was, I don't, I want to say he's a bad preacher. But here's where he drew the line. I think Paul was for solid preaching, just not self-promotion. And that was the difference between him and these guys. What's the line? I want to preach in a way that compels you, that you understand the heart of God, that God speaks through it, but what is the problem with so many churches and preachers when you're enamored with the preacher and not with Jesus? That's the line he's drawing. Now, if anybody could impress somebody with their resume and use kind of braggadocious preaching style, it's Paul. Paul was brought into heaven. I would have led with that every time. Like, hey, let me take you to this passage. It reminds me when I was in heaven. But he didn't. And it was very intentionally, because look, I don't want you to be impressed with me. And it's not that he was, I don't know how bad of a preacher he was, he intentionally wasn't this impressive preacher that wowed you. He wasn't impressive, but look at the bold. He taught in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You want an impressive homilition and order or do you want a powerful preacher? And Paul clearly was a powerful preacher. And that is kind of where he was coming from. He taught the gospel. He taught it clearly, simply. What was his style? Unimpressive. 
He didn't wow you with who he was as a speaker and how many churches, pastors, do we want that? Be careful of that guy you listen to online who just wows you as an orator and you're impressed with him. That's dangerous. So, and that's how he taught. But there was intention. Why? For him, it was a choice. Why did he preach that way? You see at the very bottom the so that phrase. That's a reason phrase. I didn't come with impressive, fancy speeches. Why? So that your faith might not rest, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What happens when you're impressed with a preacher and you have faith because of a preacher? Your faith is in a preacher, is in a man, not in God, and that's dangerous. I want you to think about that. What is your faith really rested on? Why are you a Christian? Like, you, sh- you should have an answer for that. If you're a Christian, why? Well, I'm born in America. I was raised in church, and my parents took me to church. That's a bad reason in a goofy way to talk from a sermon. Do you understand that, right? Oh, because my parents took me to church. So what's your faith rested on? Your parents' faith. You don't have genuine faith. You had faith in your parents who took you to church, and you hope they have faith. What did we just say in communion? Nobody can do that for you. Paul's intention was for you to have a relationship with God that's different from your relationship with Kevin Bacon. Wait for it. Right? Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. What's the game? Oh, I don't know you, but I know somebody who knows you, and he knows you, and we're connected by degrees. That's how many people have a relationship with God by degrees. That like you haven't genuinely experienced God and you haven't personally connected with God. And your plan is, oh, but I connect with a church and that church is connected to a pastor. And I think that pastor is connected to God. Bad plan. You don't build a chain to God. You hook into him directly and personally. And Paul made a point to get himself out of the middle because you can't hook into a person. You ever heard that story? My parents was raised to take me to church. My parents stopped going. So I stopped going. Why? Well, my faith is actually rooted in my parents. And my parents lost their faith. I lost my faith. Paul doesn't want that. He doesn't want a Kevin Bacon relationship with God where it's by degrees. I don't want that because that's dangerous. I want all of us to have a personal connection with God, not a linked by degree connection. And so Paul, if anybody who could, intentionally didn't wow the people so they're impressed with Paul. He wants them impressed with Jesus so their faith is rested upon God moving in their life. I hope you're a Christian because God has moved in your life. And it doesn't have to be this crazy thing, but God made you believe that he really does love you. And not that he loves other people, not that he died for people, like Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but the Holy Spirit helped you see he didn't theologically and hypothetically die for the sins of the world. He died because he loves you. And that until that clicks that God loves me, like this dumpster fire with all my mess, you're in trouble until the Holy Spirit empowers you to experience God's love in your life. What did Paul preach? The content was the simple gospel. 
He taught it in an unimpressive way so that people weren't drawn to Paul, they were drawn to Jesus. So that the reason they're Christians is because of God and his glorious gospel. And so what do we learn from that? Of what Paul taught, how he taught it, kind of why he taught that way. I think there's a couple of things I want to look at first. I think it would be helpful. Paul is warning them. I want you to recognize it. By it, I mean, I want you to be able to recognize good gospel-centered preaching, like a healthy church. And a healthy church by Paul, as he's laying out, isn't based off of one big personality. There's huge dangers of that, of how these big personalities, these uber-gifted people... Get, people get drawn to their platform and their influence. It should be gospel-centered, not personality-centered. So you need to be careful of that, that you're not drawn to a personality. You listen to a guy on the internet because he has great style. Well, that fades. If your faith is rooted in to just a skilled preacher, that's thin ice. Be careful of a church that's just, you know, founded upon that. Church, again, he says, I didn't use lofty words. It should be simple. As you proclaim the gospel to others, as you hear it, to go for a church where it uses simple language, not crazy spiritual things that people can't understand. Much of church history, the, the church, the dominant church of the time, would come to service and it would all be in Latin. And people didn't understand Latin. Oh, you don't know Latin, do you? Something we'll have to remedy, isn't it? Braveheart, you brought a brave heart. It's good. What's the point? Now you can't have a direct faith because you can't understand the message, so you gotta come to me. That's dangerous. A church should be at a place where the gospel, not a personality, is the center. It's simple and understandable, but also I want you to be careful of this. Go to a church, hear messages that still talk about sin. Christ and him crucified. Why was he crucified? For our sin. It's so easy. Paul's like, I'm not one of those preachers that just talks about God's love and stays away from our own personal sin. We're a culture that loves, loves to be the victim. But it's not easy to talk about how I'm a sinner and how I need forgiveness for my sin. Paul did not shy away from that. Listen to this. I want you to think about it. You can guess in your mind. Somebody fact-checked when the last time a president of the United States publicly said the word sin. I want you to think in your mind, guess. Eisenhower in 53. As a culture... Sin hasn't existed since the 50s. Isn't that nice? Right? We're in a culture where there isn't right and wrong, so you need to go to a place that isn't afraid to call you a dumpster fire. You need to listen to people that are willing to say, well, your life's messed up. Yeah, mess ups up happening to you, but because of your sin. And you need forgiveness. Because without our own sin, there's no salvation. 
So I want you to recognize a healthy church and healthy preaching. It's not on a personality. It's centered on the message. It's simple. It's understandable. It gets to the sin in the cross. If you're listening to people on the internet all the time that never talk about sin and never talk about the cross, listen to somebody else. So I want you to be able to recognize it, but I also want you to be able to repeat it. See, Paul was a preacher, and he preached in the synagogues, but it, I don't know if you were caught in the beginning. He talked about his proclaiming of God's testimony. He also gives us a model to repeat of how do we share our faith? How do we share Christ? So I want to learn as well some of the lessons you go, I'm not a preacher. But he talked about proclaiming the gospel individually. And how do we do that? So you're getting three R's and a bonus three S's. Right? How do we repeat? What do we learn from Paul's example of how to share our faith? One, do it simply. As you're talking about God, we always feel like we got to use these big spiritual words. Throw in propitiation, which I know you don't understand what that means, but you feel like you got to say these fancy words. Talk simply about God's love for them, but talk specifically. It's easy to talk about how God loves you and you have a purpose. It's hard to mention the name Jesus and talk about the cross. Don't just stop short of, oh, God loves you. Yeah, God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins because that's what Paul taught. And that's hard to do. Like, it's hard to talk about Jesus in our culture. And so the second point, I want to give you permission to be scared. <laughs> I want to clarify that. I meant, like, the scared part is for you. I didn't mean that as a tactic. Like, don't scare people. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, you're going to hell! Ah! Like, don't, that's not what I'm saying. Like, the scared part is you be scared, don't scare tactic, okay? Because I just told you, I want you to tell your neighbors about Jesus. Isn't that fun? And you're like, oh, I don't know, that wigs me out. Guess what? It wigged out Paul. Stop waiting for the time where you feel like, oh, I just don't know enough, or I'm just uncomfortable, I just feel awkward, so I won't. Paul felt insecure. Paul, the guy who wrote the Bible, felt insufficient, and he didn't wait for the time where he felt so confident that he had all the answers. He humbly, and in all his insecurity, still shared how many times am I in a situation that's like, oh, but if I talk about Jesus, it might get weird, so I don't want to feel awkward, so I'd rather keep you in your dark, hopeless place and lost in your sin because I don't want to feel awkward. Dang. So yes, you can be nervous. You can be scared. I was scared. I was like pumped up writing this, and I'm like writing this from the library, so I'm like, man, I'm going to share my faith with somebody. Like, I dare somebody to talk to me. This dude comes up to me. He was like a professor from Kent State, and he's like, you know, hey, and I'm like, God, is this it? Like, it's about to go down. Like, I'm going to do this. And so it's awkward, though. There's no easy in. He's like, man, I'm from Sri Lanka. I'm like, yeah. you know Sri Lanka begins with? S. So does sin. You're a sinner. You need to not go to hell. How do you get there? <laughs> but I did. I got there almost that awkwardly. So stop. Like in that moment, are you not operating fear or help this person have love and simply share about God's love for them? Don't wait till you're perfectly comfortable. Nobody gets there. Paul never got there and he wrote the Bible. So I also want you to stop yelling. 
know what you're thinking. You yell all the time. Mind your business. That's what I'm not talking about me right now. <laughs> Here's what I mean by stop yelling. Let me ask you something. Is there someone in your life that you desperately want for them to grasp the gospel? Is there someone that you love that you like so with all your being want them to understand God's love for them? Parent, child, spouse, neighbor. We want it so bad to the point there's nothing we won't do for them to have it. But the only problem is there's nothing we can do to make it happen. We embrace this. I want my kids so bad. And if I just get them in the right school, if they hear the right message, and if I just get the, if I tell it in a convincing, compelling enough way, then they'll be saved. No, they won't. You, I, cannot convince anybody. Now, we're not totally off the hook. We faithfully need to clearly present the gospel in a loving way. But let's not embrace the responsibility that only God can make a dead heart beat again. So stop embracing the pressure that I can save my kids, my spouse, my neighbor. You can't. Paul couldn't. God can. So stop yelling. Here's where I get to the stop yelling. You know what it reminds me of? You know, I talked about, get a, you know, can't for it. You get someone, maybe an international student that doesn't speak English. They can't comprehend English. So what do we do to help them understand? Say it louder. Do you can't comprehend it? Yelling it, saying it louder doesn't fix the problem. Do you believe that with your own kids? No eye can see. None of us. We can grasp it up here. None of us can grasp the glory of the gospel, of God's love for me and for you. Like in the midst of all your shame, it says we can't get there on our own. The people you love cannot grasp it. You cannot convince them. If you could, you shouldn't, because now their faith's in your ability to convince them. Rest in that. That's my last point. I want you to repeat Paul's model of gospel ministry, but I also want you to rest in that simple gospel. In a couple ways. One, you hear him talk about wisdom that was common in the church, that the, these sophists, these influencers, wanted to get people to believe that, man, if you had this impressive knowledge, then you're in. Paul is tearing that down. Just through membership, I was reminded of this. I sat down with somebody that felt like, I don't feel like a good enough Christian. Why? I don't know enough. I don't know my Bible enough. You ever feel like a less than Christian because you don't know enough? You don't know all the details, and you don't know enough Bible trivia. I remember as a kid not knowing, you know, look, if you know the gospel, you know enough. You don't even know all the details even of the Christmas story. I remember as a kid not knowing I couldn't find where Orientar was. We Three Kings, where are they from? Orientar. Like, that's what I thought the song said. Man, I couldn't find Orientar on a map. I don't have all the answers. Oh, you don't know enough about the Bible. Can God really love you? Yes. If you know about Jesus and his paying for your sins, you know enough. You can rest in the fact that you don't need to know more to be loved more. You don't need to know more to be loved more. Rest in that. I want to make sure, I want all of us, 
to make sure, like, what is your foundation? What is your faith rested on? Is it rested on your parents' faith, your spouse's faith, you know, a great missionary, a preacher's faith? Or have you met God? Because God, whether it be in church or in a song, spoke to you, and you knew God really loves you. I want to end with a baptism story. Somebody I met from this church recently got baptized in their story when they were 12 years old. Their dad dies in just like a horrific, tragic way. 12 years old, he said, look, our family didn't have much faith. When my dad died when I was 12, it was all gone. And I remember sitting down with this guy. And then in my arrogance, I thought, all right, I'm going to convince him he's going to come to faith. And so here he was, he was an atheist, so he wouldn't come into the Lord's house. So we went to God's second home, Chick-fil-A, Hal Road, you know. So I meet him, and I'm sitting in this seat thinking, I'm going to convince this dude that God exists. I'm going to argue him into the kingdom. How prideful, how dumb. He comes to faith, and thank goodness my pride didn't stop him. See, we went through, you know, he read Case for Christ, and apologetics helped. It was fine. That was a part of his journey. But then he tells his baptism story. What did it? power of the Holy Spirit compelled him to believe the gospel. He said, I was driving. And like, I was aware at that moment, God just spoke to me. It wasn't audible. You're going to be okay. Like, God loves you. That's what I want for us. I want you to have those times. And it doesn't, some people literally talk about feeling God's love flow over them. I want you to encounter God directly. To like get in his word. And maybe it is church where you feel like you've heard the voice of God. And that you can really believe that God loves you. Your faith shouldn't rest on anything else. Not a fancy preacher. Not someone who you love. All that's thin ice. I want you to experience God directly. And you put your faith in him. Because that's your only hope for you. That's the only hope for me. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, it's so tempting. God, I want people to know you. I want to convince my kids. I want to share it with my family. God, forgive me that I think I can do that. God, even right now, I can say the simple gospel, but I want you. We need you to speak in power in your spirit to help us believe that that is true, that you really love us. God, would we experience you and put all of our hope and all of our faith in you. Jesus' name.